Welcome to Creators Abroad. I'm Katerina, your nomad guide living in Northern England. And this is another narrative journey where we travel, take risks, find opportunities and spark our imagination. I create these episodes to help you in your creative journey and share tips to build a new life in a foreign country or town. And most importantly, how to make a living as a creator. To do that, I've invited best-selling author Dr. Marissa Schwausch, who's also a PR and marketing specialist and runs a publishing house, Gen Z Publishing. As an author myself, unpublished and probably a long way off from best-selling anything, I would love to discuss literature with Marissa. But I thought to make this super useful to you and me and discuss something that's so, so important for creators right off the bat, who's received a message from a digital marketer on LinkedIn or Instagram asking if you needed help with SEO, UI, UX design, SQL, you know, one of those acronyms, <laughs> etc, etc. And suddenly you feel overwhelmed and you either start panicking and hiring people or you do nothing and ignore it entirely, like me. For a long time, I just kind of didn't even do any SEO practices because let's be honest, as creators, we don't want to spend time on that kind of technical googly detail of what we create. Now, however, I am hooked because I understand why it's necessary and why it can get you more exposure, get ahead and make a living. So today we're focusing on how you can fine tune your SEO and social media strategy and what kind of material you're actually meant to create these days. Is it audio? Is it video? Is it text? Is it everything? <laughs> Quick announcement before we get started. When I recorded with Marissa, I had just created a TikTok account. And to be honest, I didn't have a plan. We briefly discussed TikTok and Marissa shares some tips for that too. If you're on the platform, you can find me at Creators Abroad. And of course, after editing this episode, I now do have a plan. But let's get started on some tips. So welcome to the show, Marissa. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, yeah, so now you're going to make us all excited about SEO, or perhaps you decided to do your trailer on com something completely different, doesn't matter. But can you introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer? Sure. So coming soon to a theater near you, uh, Marissa Schwartz, who works on uh, getting startups and small businesses out there through the magic of marketing, 360 marketing, which includes SEO, ads, PR, and social media with small businesses. Authors are small businesses as well. So we work with a lot of authors and uh, that also goes very well with my uh, book publishing company. I've Trailed off the trailer part there, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really excited about this conversation. And I forgot to mention in my little introduction that you did get a doctorate. So technically people will find you as Dr. Marissa Schwarch. Okay, so let's dive in. Scene one, the battle of audio and video. At the age of 12, you landed your first article in Discovery Gold magazine and then went on to do what I've always dreamt of doing, publishing your book at the age of 17 or at a very, very young age. So you went on to become a best-selling author, as I mentioned, and a top-rated editor as well. And now you run the Dr. Rassi's writing and marketing. So you've mentioned though that includes 360 servers, so it everything that you can think of for getting your name out there, for getting the exposure you need, including SEO, social media, and so forth. Now, you are more, are you, this is my question, are you more of an author, an editor, or a PR specialist? And how and when did you start your agency? If you could just maybe give us a bit of background first. 
Yeah, so it's funny. I started out as an author. I had a love for books. I was at a biomedical science academy when I published my first book, and I realized that, you know, rather than going into biomedical sciences, I wanted to be a writer when I found myself during biomedical science classes, you know, writing outlines for books uh, rather than, you know, paying attention to biomedical science. So I'm like, okay, I think I need a new path. So that was what got me into that. And then in high school, I did, I started freelance editing. Um, Really anything to get me more into the book world. And then I continued to write and and, um, work on books. I got my bachelor's in English, then my master's in communication, then my doctorate in literature. And I've continued to write and work on books since. But what's gradually happened is I've built up a team as well. So I have uh, about 25 people that work with me and I oversee all that. So I don't write or edit as much as I used to professionally. It's more now overseeing other people doing that work and me saying, yeah, that looks good. Or, oh, you know what? I would tweak that and and thinking about, okay, how do we get this writing, our own writing, our clients writing? How do we get that out there? That's where the SEO and PR comes in. But, you know, now when I write, it's really just more of a creative exercise for myself. I I haven't written um, anything professional in about two years when I finished my dissertation. Yes. And when did you start the agency? Um, Well, I started freelancing in high school, so about 10 years ago. And that is what I grew into the agency. So it went from me doing editing work to clients saying, you know, I love your editing. I love your writing. I wish you could write... um, text with SEO in mind because I would love to put this on my blog and that got me into, oh, I should look into this SEO thing. So I started Mm -hmm. training on SEO and then I started getting more and more clients and I decided, you know what, rather than telling clients, sorry, Mac capacity, I can't work with you. Let me find and train and hire people who can work with me to do this work. So it originally started out, you know, I would do the writing and Maria would make the graphics and then it turned into, okay, um, you know, Katie's going to do the writing, Maria's going to do the graphics, I'm going to check it all over. And now it's to the point where it's, okay, Maria does the graphics, Katie does the writing, uh, Lauren checks it over, and then I just do a final spot check kind of thing. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And that's good thinking when you think of like expanding your own kind of client base as well because as one person you can only work with so many people now considering your background obviously in literature but also um the general modern day emphasis on visual and emoji driven content and interactions so i mean you are an author so from your experience how important is the work is the use of words in digital marketing it is important um but actually in one of my My first book that I published in my book publishing company, I have a chapter devoted to the evolution of language because a lot of Mm -hmm. people will criticize emojis and say, oh, language is devolving into hieroglyphics. But I disagree. I think this is simply the next evolution in a way that we communicate. Uh, You know, people Mm -hmm. wrote just in text, just in letters out of necessity because they, you know, there's not, it's more difficult to write an emoji if you're handwriting or if you're typing on a typewriter. But now we have the technology to allow us to do that. So I don't see emojis, GIFs, memes. I don't see any of those devaluing language. I see them as the next evolution in how we communicate visually. Yes. And do you think that's closer to how we speak as well? Or is it like more intuitively connected to our emotions and what we want to express? Yeah, well, that is one thing. The way that we speak, I've found um, uh, people definitely speak more or, or 
if you watch like TV shows, my mom keeps watching Leave It to Beaver. I'm over there, and they speak like professionally. You know, every everybody was very. There, there wasn't much colloquial language, especially in public if you're on an interview or something, whereas today uh, people are more relaxed, I think. You know, you, you have – I don't know if it's a thing if people are afraid to seem pretentious because after the recession and stuff, people want to be more humble. I know that people mm-hmm. nowadays, you know, humbleness is uh, more – uh, glorified, I guess, than, than previously. So I do think that language has become more colloquial and relaxed as well, uh, where mm-hmm. at the same time people understand emotional intelligence, so they're more careful with the words that they use, you know, on a general scale. Yeah. Okay. And then just going back to, to what I was talking about in terms of, like, what's important in for digital marketing. So the reason I, I asked that question specifically was because there's always this kind of question, like, should you use more visual materials should you not use words at all because the moment people see words they're like oh no (laughs) and then they kind of scroll on or whatever they're doing and where does voice come in to all of this yeah I definitely think that there is still a place for words for for written communications even today so it was a huge deal when tiktok added the ability for closed captioning and of course it's great for the disability community but it's also great for people who just like to have that visual like i personally when i'm watching television i put the subtitles on i like having the text to keep me engaged and focused so i think that what's going to wind up happening is text is going to complement all these visuals that we're watching you know the days of just watching a live stream or a video without text coming across the screen i think that those days are gone i think text is going hand in hand with all these visual avenues even commenting if you're watching a stream or something you are commenting you're typing in because it would be chaos if everybody could just talk i mean you hear clubhouse they they do like tap the mic to to talk there are different things that they have to different practices but i find it clunky sometimes i would like a way to just type my comments in so i think it's just going to keep evolving together written language and these visuals Mm-hmm. Yes. And then with the rise of podcasts, uh, Clubhouse, you mentioned just now, and also generally the the feeling that audio marketing is becoming, if not more important, at least people's recognizing its effectiveness. We kind of have this video audio competing, like the video fanatics will say, oh, no, yes, like audio is never going to take over video. And then the audio fanatics will be saying, you can't get that deep conversation through video it has to be audio only or um something like that between the three types of medium do you think there is an ideal balance or do you think it's really going to be preference and some people are just going to gravitate more to creating video content for their marketing others are just going to create audio and some people are just going to stay to more textual based uh marketing material yeah it's tough to say i do think uh video has taken over quite a bit especially with tiktok like Something I've heard from everybody who has adopted TikTok over the past year is just how they couldn't live without it. That it's just such a revolutionary platform. And I have to agree with that. Like you feel so much more personal. Like it it just feels so much more personal where you're actually seeing a person, you're engaging with them through written word. Um, I do see that as being a wave of the future, but I also don't see like a, a platform like Instagram going anywhere either i do think there's still a place for something like that the way that they're set up the way that they do keep evolving um but i i think that video is going to be the most popular medium and you know there will, mm-hmm. the others there'll be like sub communities for but i think video is going to become the most popular okay so yes yeah, so in terms of just say a creator podcaster 
YouTuber, whatever they, they're doing, for them, they should try to keep at least video, have that in, and then they can add the, the other mediums as well to the extent that they prefer it. Yeah, well, the beautiful thing also about video is that you can turn it into other things. So, mm -hmm. uh, for example, I have a client, he's a medical doctor, and he records five-minute videos every week of himself talking about different supplements. Uh, but he doesn't have enough time to turn that into a blog. So what he does is he hires us, us and we write blog articles around that video topic. So then people can go to his website, they see the written article, they see his video in the middle, and it's amazing for his SEO because you know YouTube is great for SEO, blogs are great for SEO, so it's just a win-win. So a strategy like that I think is great and not going anywhere because there is a difference between watching a video. Like I'll get in a mood sometimes where I'm like, I just don't want to hear people's voices anymore. I want to listen to some music and read something. And that's where something like that comes in. Yes, definitely. I agree. And I think the thing, well, I used to be like all very fanatic about podcasts and audio only, but then it just occurred to me recently that the ideal is actually having both and then having the podcast ready that's based off like a visual material, even if it's just an interview like what we're doing now, but having that as well. And then if you do have the time or if you hire someone like you, having the blog article uh, for people who just want to quickly read something. Um, so that's probably where it, the ideal is. But of course, well, we have limited time, so not everybody's able to do all of that. Scene two, the relationship between SEO and social media. SEO is one of those words. I mean, so many people have approached me saying they're SEO experts. Do I need an SEO expert? I mean, you are an SEO expert, or at least your agency does that. And it's really crept up because of the increase in websites and the prominence of search engines like Google, which basically index these sites and then helps us find things online. So the higher you rank, the more likely people will be going to your site. Now, to be able to do this or to at least rank in certain topics, you need keywords. Um, so keywords are essential or something to think of when you're writing something for your website or doing a blog article. And it's obviously, in general, creating online content. But the confusion sometimes comes in, like when we have a YouTube channel or a podcast, does that still apply? But we'll get to that. And the same goes for social media and algorithms are really important in determining, of course, which data gets shown because they manage this influx of data. And I'm a little bit fascinated by them. Some people don't can't understand why I'm always going on about it, but it's just how they work and how they basically control things, but how you can also then and try and understand them and control them. Okay, my long speech is now over now. <laughs> In both cases, creators want to get maximum exposure, of course, that's what we aim, especially if we're doing this professionally. Let's strip it back to the very basics because I'm one of those people, I don't know where to start. Is there a crossover between SEO and social media, first of all, or are those two things completely separate? Yeah, and I'm so glad that you asked that because so many people don't realize how much they do go hand in hand. And I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, the most popular actor or celebrity in the world is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. If you Google Dwayne The Rock Johnson's name, one of the very first things that comes up is his Twitter. Uh, that's because Twitter is so 
regularly updated. Google loves that. Google loves seeing something that's updated every day, a few times a day. And Twitter does that. So his Twitter is ranking him really high. That's ranking high. So that's why, you know, I say um, absolutely you should have your social media updated. Put hashtags and, and hashtags are another thing. You put hashtags up, people find you in their search results or if they're following a certain hashtag, they'll find you. So hashtags are a great SEO tool. Because technically, well, I mean, something like Pinterest is technically a search engine anyway. Yeah, yeah. Your social media definitely goes hand in hand with your SEO. And, you know, like those experts that you said that you talk to, something that I talk about, I teach SEO courses. And I usually start them by saying, you know, people have given SEO a bad name by trying to overcomplicate it. And yes, it is. It's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, it does take a lot of time and a lot of work, but it's not some complex amalgam that, you know, only super expert people can figure out. If you have the time and the drive, you can learn SEO or at least some practices to improve yourself. And that's something they don't want you to know because they try to make it seem like some mysterious thing. But if you go on Twitter and you post every day, you're going to help your SEO. Now, would it help your SEO more if you hired a professional to, you know, update your website, make sure you have um, backlinks and, and just make Make sure that you're running smoothly and quickly and have a high domain authority. Yes, that's going to be the best. But if you're somebody who doesn't have a big budget or something, just posting on Twitter a few times a day is enough to do something for your SEO. And now I'm laughing at myself because I was just deciding I'm not going to go on Twitter anymore, but <laughs> I might actually go back on there. I'm like, yes, SEO. Yeah, <laughs> it's great for SEO. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you think both of these things apply to creators, I suppose so, because I mean, that's like bloggers and so forth. But what do you think? A hundred percent. Creators are mm -hmm. one of the main audiences that I have in mind when I, when I talk like this. I mean, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he is a creator. He's creating content and that's why yeah. it's, it's like that with him. So yeah, I, I definitely think, and it's probably easier for creators because if you're already writing blogs, why not add some keywords to it? Why not, you know, uh, learn a way or, or hire somebody to take what you're writing and, and put the type of keywords that you need, backlink it, do guest posts, things like that. Uh, so I do think for creators, it's probably easier already because they have half the battle done. Yes. Can you give one example of a keyword? Because it's, it sounds simple enough, but might not be as simple as that. And one example of a backlink. Sure. So uh, for a keyword, I'll use my own example. Um, for the, If somebody types in writing and marketing in New Jersey, my company is the first thing that comes up. That was really important for me that, you know, we rank for that keyword because it's, it's long tail, it's specific, um, it's competitive that, you know, there are thousands of people searching for that phrase every month, but there aren't a bunch of companies already ranking for that word. So if somebody is searching for that, there's a good chance that they're going to find us and reach out to us because it's just, it's, it's not super saturated. And then a, an example of a backlink would be, uh, I wrote a blog article about best SEO practices. And then I wrote an article, trying to think for, okay. So then I wrote an article for New York weekly times that talked about that same topic. So it talked about SEO, but in a different way. So it, it was from a different angle and it linked back to that original mm -hmm. blog article that I wrote and published on my website. I was going to use the example of I had another article published on Forbes, but the problem with having an article published on Forbes as, you know, oh, you're on Forbes as is, they don't give you a backlink. So it does show up on Google News, which is great, but you don't get the backlink in big websites like those. 
Okay, so it's basically just having links between two different sites. Is that what it comes yeah, down to? Yeah, there is a little bit more where um, oh, okay. F- Forbes, for example, will give you a link. So I had an article come out on there and they linked to my website, but it's not a do follow link, which means it doesn't count for SEO juice. It just, people can, can visit you, but it's not yeah. yet. Ah, okay, so it sounds a little bit more complicated than uh, just just linking, like just putting a links in your website, I suppose. Yeah. And there was another question that popped up. Oh, so just on the keywords, and sorry, this is some technical things, but I mean that it's these things that we don't always understand. So, for example, region might be something you want to include in your keywords when you say, like, for example, marketing agency, and then the location in like your example, New Jersey or in where I am in the northeast of England or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to necessarily, but I do think it helps. And, and then you could expand mm-hmm. outwards. So we started with yeah. New Jersey and then we went to New York and, you know, mm-hmm. so you can, you can expand. Yeah. Okay. Many podcasters and YouTubers have websites because we're talking about websites here, but it's not necessarily their main content pages or they don't see it as that's where I live. <laughs> like for bloggers, it would be the website in most cases. And a podcaster, for example, they might just have their podcast on whatever app they use or like their distribution app um, and then obviously have, um, sorry, social media presence and they might even have a YouTube account. And that for them will be considered like, okay, that's what we have and the website's not that important. But according to you, should we all invest in a website? Um, see that that's a good question. It, it I don't like to do blanket statements like yes, everybody has to have one. <laughs> I, I think if you have the means to do it, yeah, yes. Um, the way that I started out, so you know, I started out like I said before as a high school kid and then a college kid. I couldn't afford a website, so what I did was I created a blog and I made it look as websitey as I could. And then once I got the means, I converted it into a website. I don't think that's a bad idea for people. Um, but I've also had people who start with like an Instagram and they make that their central hub. There's actually a brilliant musician I'm working with. He's doing that exact thing. And he has his Instagram just so beautiful. It's a living, breathing portfolio for him. I think if you want to start like that and then build from there, that's also fine. Okay. And then is it important? So say you decide to get a website, is it then important to have it rank highly in Google or as long as you have some hub where you have like constant activity, constant posting and some kind of interaction with people. It doesn't really matter that much. Or does everyone like to be ranked highly in Google, I suppose? (laughs) Ideally, you would have a website that's ranking highly. That would always be the ultimate goal. But, you know, Mm -hmm. there are some people who they just kind of, they give up on their dream until the perfect moment when they can have a website. And I always want to dissuade people from doing that. Like start small. You can start with the social media and then build into the website, but the website is, that's going to rank higher or better than um, your other things. It's going to be your thing. Because the other thing is with social media, they make the rules. So for example, I sang a few covers of songs a few years ago and I just was Mm -hmm. notified yesterday they removed all of those covers I couldn't have predicted that so because it's so unpredictable it's their platform I always think having your own thing that you control your website is is a good backup 
Yeah, that's a very good point you just made because that's the thing with some of the other platforms is we don't know how long they're going to be around for. And if they go, what do you do if everything is simply on your Instagram, for example? And the same goes for obviously small businesses, not to focus on just one platform, but at least have one or two where they, they uh, post and have a presence. Now, in terms of discoverability, and this is something I'm very passionate about, websites are easy to understand. So you search for someone um, through Google, you discover their website, you discover them. And obviously, this is also once again, where SEO plays an important role because of the keywords. Now, what some people don't realize is that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, they're all actually search engines. And you mentioned Pinterest too. So does SEO matter as much? And is there a simplified way to approach it? So for example, this is now just thinking about SEO in terms of when you upload your podcast episode, when you upload your YouTube video, do you always have to think keywords, SEO? Yeah, you should always be thinking keywords and SEO and thinking that's why it's important to also have a client avatar and knowing who your audience is, mm -hmm. because when you have that specific person in mind, you can think of the keywords that they're going to search. So I've seen people on Instagram who, let's say they own a pizza, uh, a pizzeria and they hashtag something uh, actually no pizzeria is a bad example I'll, I'll put somebody in my in my category i've seen other marketers mm -hmm. hashtag something like um marketing tips and i've done that too but when you hashtag something like marketing tips the people who are watching it are other marketers not necessarily your target audience so you want to think like a business owner and hashtag something like support small business or um marketing tips for small business owners Otherwise, if you're doing something general like marketing tips, you're going to be getting a lot more of your competition essentially watching your videos. Oh, that's super interesting. I think I've probably been doing that the whole time. I'm like <laughs> just hashtagging my competition. But yeah, so for example, if <laughs> because I'm always thinking back to, to something that I can apply or that somebody listening obviously to the episode can apply. So say we've got, well, I'm just going to go with podcast because that's easy. Uh, so a podcast is listening and they're thinking, okay, well, what am I hashtagging all my Instagram posts as? And I think like in terms of Instagram, that's particularly difficult for podcasters because just of the way the platform works. So should they be putting a hashtag podcaster or should they be putting a hashtag podcast listener? <laughs> is this a trick question? Um, yeah. I mean, you, the other yeah. thing is, so on Instagram, you can use like 30 hashtags. Yeah. So... Um, and I like to be as specific mm -hmm. as possible. I actually use an app called hashtag expert mm -hmm. and they also kind of congregate hashtags for you. Um, so I think let's say I'll, I'll use a personal example. If I want to listen to a new podcast, I'm probably going to search for podcasts in the genre that I want to listen to. So I would probably search business podcast. I would search comedy, uh, podcast. I don't know that I would necessarily search a general term like, uh, podcast listener or podcast creator, I would probably search something in the genre. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're posting on something like TikTok, they use their hashtags more or less to generate where they're going to show your video. So on there, putting something like podcast, that's okay because then it tells the TikTok algorithms, oh, this video is about podcast. But on like something like Twitter or maybe even LinkedIn, I think podcast is too general. You're going to have way too much competition. Okay. Well, that's super interesting. Now, so I think I've covered everything. So now we're going to go to the staying sane and staying sensible because there's so much to think about. <laughs> Scene three. 
staying sensible, staying sane. For any creator, the primary thing is audience. So understanding who the audience is, understanding how to reach them. And that's what you want to do when you put your content out there. Now, when I think specifically of like my audience, who are people who are trying to like establish a new life in a foreign country or just trying to navigate or they're thinking of moving to a foreign country. One of the key things there is like not having a support structure or at least not the same kind as in their, their home country. So most of us aren't in the first place digital market marketing experts anyway. So effective marketing becomes doubly important almost if you're in a place where you don't even have that immediate support structure that can kind of help you do some of the marketing themselves. To overcome some of this dauntingness of the whole marketing thing, for someone who doesn't have a clue about SEO, I've done a bit of research, so I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable with it, but someone who's not even done that, what are the three most important steps they need to take first? Three steps for improving your SEO if you're a new creator. So I think that my, my confusion is thinking about do they already have some of a presence? So let's say they don't have anything. Uh, so the first step would be uh, create your social media. I would probably start with uh, Twitter and an Instagram and just put out content regularly. Don't worry about perfecting it. I would make sure that it's as polished as you could do, but you know, don't, I've seen a lot of people just avoid putting something out because, um, have that make, make sure that you have some kind of branding, uh, some kind of colors or something that people can associate with you. It doesn't have to necessarily just be, Oh, I only post in, you know, blue. No, uh, some kind of like, I know careers who the only post like pastels or ones who post very bright myself. I, I, for my one company, it, everything is uh, orange and blue. For the other one, everything is like a, a turquoise. And then for my personal branding, I'm always wearing colorful stuff. Um, so just kind of have a brand behind you uh, and create those social media and posts according to that. Um, the second, and this is probably one of the most neglected, and it's, it seems so obvious, but so many people don't do it, is to make sure that you engage. You have to engage if you want engagement. So interact with other people. The only way that I got people to sign up uh, to work with my book publishing company was because I reached out to authors that I admired and who are independently published and said, hey, I love your writing. I love what you're doing. I'm starting this new book publishing company. If you want to release a new book, you know, we would, we would love to work with you. So engaging with others and not even just necessarily like that was real direct marketing, even mm -hmm. something as simple as following some, like yesterday, uh, there was this, uh, fashion designer. She is a small creator. She has like 233 followers, but she does such great work. And I saw one of her latest designs and I just said to her, Oh my gosh, that looks beautiful. And just that interaction, she, you know, it, it was nice. It started a, a DM mm -hmm. conversation between us. So something as simple as that really can go a, a long way. And then third would be creating a website if you have the means or creating a blog that you can eventually turn into a website. Okay, so you definitely recommend a blog, having one. Yeah. If you can, if you've got the Absolutely. time and capacity for it. Absolutely, it's great for SEO. Okay, yeah, that does make sense. Thank you for sharing those tips. And also the interaction part, is that like on social media, off social media, just kind of engaging with people if you're expecting some engagement back, basically? Yeah, exactly. Right. You have to engage to get engagement. Mm -hmm. Great. Unless so. you're Kim Kardashian or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, then it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Of course.
course. Oh, just out of curiosity, I've been meaning to ask you, and I know I'm, I'm going off a tangent, but I was just wondering, do you, did you originally grow up in the States or did you move at some point? I'm sixth generation of my family to live in um, New Jersey, and I was actually a sixth generation to be born and raised in uh, the Woodbridge part of New Jersey, and then the first generation to move to another town. But yeah, we're, we're all from Jersey. Oh, okay. All right. I see. Right. So thinking again of support structures, would you say that we create our own support networks through paying attention to how we market? And I'm referring here to, for example, not only like keywords, but also kind of asking people to share, what do you think about that? Because I know some people would say you should do it. Some people would say you shouldn't. You should just like be very, I don't know, if almost the, the mindset that if you don't say it, people will do it more readily than if you do ask them to share it. So what do you think? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I had this professor in, uh, in, in grad school that always sticks out to me. And he was the sweetest person in the world, but he just had no patience for when somebody would say, oh, I'm stuck. Oh, I have, uh, you know, uh, writer's block. And he really turned my head around because you would think if somebody has writer's block, oh, they're being really humble or, or I'm using writer's block as uh, kind of a, a metaphor here of anybody who gets scared and like, oh, I can't do it. I don't want to, you know, um, he said, it's your ego talking that, you know, that's you trying to be a perfectionist and, and worrying about what the, the final result is, is going to be just right. Just get out there. And I say that to people with everything, with social media, with your website, with any creators, um, you know, don't let your ego get in the way. Don't think that you always need to produce something perfect. Just produce, get it out there and then work on improving. Mm hmm. Yeah, once again, that's so, so hard, especially when like I am such a perfectionist and I know this is a problem. I can know it's not actually a good thing because that does prevent me. So you're very spot on with that. But just in terms of actually asking people to help you out, do you think that's okay when you kind of out sharing things on social media? Yeah, I do. I, I think as long as it's done tactfully. So mm -hmm. there is somebody on Facebook who just actually several people and I'm constantly getting tagged in their posts that have nothing to do with me. And that's mm -hmm. frustrating. And then I'm getting tagged and when you're tagged in something, it's supposed to be, Hey, you're in this picture or video, but they're just doing it because they want feedback. Um, so if you're going to do it, do it the right way, do it tactfully. If you're going to tag somebody, get their permission. I think the better way to go about it would be to, you know, directly message that person, tell them why you admire them and why you're asking for their feedback. Um, and offer something to them in return, whether it's, you know, you, you know, giving it, looking at something of theirs or, um, you know, what I've also done is had people go and, and, um, you know, well, I'll, I'll get, I'll give them feedback and then, uh, in return, we'll do a shout out to each other on social media. Like things like that are, are really helpful. Okay. Yes. Very good point that you made. And what would you say, in addition to perhaps neglecting SEO, are common mistakes you've noticed, especially on social media? Yeah. Oh, there, there are a lot. I think the biggest is people being unclear about their why and why they're posting. When you're posting, you need to have a goal. So I've seen people just 
their posts are all over. And I used to do this all the time. Like I would post way too much about my dog. Like I would just, every picture was a dog photo. And then I realized, you know, what is my goal? Well, my goal is to cultivate a great community online of book lovers and, and small businesses who want to, you know, get their work out there. And by posting dog pictures, as cute as they are, it's not getting, you know, it's, it's not bringing in, it's not telling people what I do. So then once I realized, okay, this is my audience, this is how I'm going to get through them. I started posting posts in that style. And I think that so many people do the same thing that I did. I think being clear on who you're posting for and why you're posting and what your ultimate goal is, um, is, is key. And would you say this applies to, say you have a personal brand, so you're basically your personal life, it just kind of flows into your brand. You don't have separate accounts for them. Well, um, actually, I think it depends on the platform. So on Instagram, I have a personal account and I have a business account. And on my personal account, mm -hmm. I still post some business stuff. I do like a lot of business tips and stuff. Uh, but I also will post about my dog because I love him. Um, and then TikTok, yeah. same thing. You know, I found that um, I, I love pop culture. So my pop culture, my silly pop culture videos do so much better than my videos talking about SEO and stuff because, you know, they're, they're much more broadly appealing. But I felt like I couldn't, and as much as I wanted to, I can't post about marketing in one breath and then pop culture in the other. So I made two separate accounts. So mm -hmm. my popular account is the one where I'm talking about SpongeBob and the DC comic universe. And then my less popular account is the one where I'm talking about SEO. Right. But they both exist and they both have their purpose. Great. Now, obviously, with so much on our plates, how do we avoid becoming overwhelmed by the details of marketing and our and make sure that our marketing is as effective as possible without worrying about trying to do everything. Yeah, um, I, I would say start small, um, take it one step at a time, and most importantly, have a plan. So if you have a plan with the timeline and you stick to it, then you're good, and then you avoid overwhelm. So I actually did that when I created my marketing TikTok. I knew, I know myself, and that I do tend to overdo things and get overwhelmed because I put so much on my plate. So I decided instead of going and filming 20 videos in one day and then posting them all, I was going to take one day and create the account. Make sure the bio looks good. Make sure my links are correct. The second day I was to film my second video, do the hashtag research. And I, I had all that planned out and written out and I just followed that to a T. And in that way I was able to just follow the plan and, and not be overwhelmed. Okay. And just out of interest sake, do you do like a bunch of TikTok videos in one go? I think you and then you post them, you know, over time. Yeah. So what I usually do is um, each TikTok video takes me about 10 minutes to film and edit. So I usually set aside an hour and film uh, five to seven videos in that hour. And then um, I post those uh, on my one channel. I post every other day. And then the, uh, the other channel, I post three times a day. So. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I've just gotten onto TikTok. That's why I'm asking, because I'm like, how should I do this? Yes. I do. I'm used to Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I probably won't be posting more than once a day, but I'll start with just trying to maybe do like once a day or five times a week or something. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. And then just to finish up, one question about books and publishing and so forth. So you run the Gen Z Publishing House, which publishes books based on the talent and content of the authors instead of like how many accomplishments they've got and so forth. So with your background and you have like, we didn't even go into everything you've accomplished, but people can look that up on your website. 
and also all these different facets to your life, what would you like to be known for most? Wow, that's a great question. Um, it's funny, it's, it's changed a lot. A few years ago, I would have said, oh, for being an author. A few years before that, I would have said, oh, singing, because at that point, I, I, today is my seven-year anniversary uh, since I sang on MTV. But now, uh, I, I, it would be business. You know, I have these businesses, I have my, my team that I love so much working uh, with me every day, and all these clients working with me. So uh, now I would say being a business owner is what I would like to uh, most be known for. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me, first of all. And where can people find out more about what you do, your agency, and so forth? Yeah. So thanks to SEO. If you type in my name, Marissa with an O, Marissa Schwartz, uh, mm -hmm. you'll find everything on social media and online. Um, you can also find me at drrissy.com. That's my uh, company's name. Yeah. If you type in Dr. Rissy as well on any search platform or social media, you'll find me. Okay, awesome. And I will include all the details in the show notes for listeners. Yeah. Now we've got round 42, the meaning of life, the universe and everything. So four very quick questions. And we're going to start with a surprise one. Something inexplicable happened. And there's only one book left in the world, except yours, of course. Which one is it? Uh, tools for Titans. A lot of really smart people giving great advice and insights. I'll have to check that out. It's really good. Yeah. Define the culture of your hometown in one sentence. Large town with a small town feel. What important truths do very few people agree with you on? All people are inherently good. Great. And then this is very serious. If you were 20% braver, what would you do tomorrow? Guess go to Disney World <laughs> for a holiday to work. <laughs> Give no, for, for a holiday. For a holiday, I haven't gone on a yeah. plane or anything in the past year and a half. And if I were braver, I would go on a plane. But at this point, I'm still uh, a little scared. So, <laughs> but that's that, that's my my first trip. As soon as uh, you know everything feels safe enough, I'm going to Disney World. <laughs> oh, I'd love to go as well. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Marissa, and sharing your insights. This has been fascinating, really, really interesting. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is great. That's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to the show. So I've been trying some of the tips that Marissa gave and, oh my God, try to, you'll see. It just makes life so much easier when you have these things that you can just do straight away and you don't have to worry about reading lots and lots of material. Now, if you are a creator living abroad, maybe not yet, maybe you want to, get in touch. Say hello on Insta at creators.abroad. Or you can go to our TikTok at Creators Abroad or our website, creatorsabroad.com. Something is happening in September. I'm going to keep it a secret until next week when, fingers crossed, I'm going to release a solo episode to announce it. And it's going to be super, super useful for anyone who's got a small business, creative business, and want to know what's coming up in terms of digital marketing. Because things are changing, as always. <laughs> In the meantime, you can find out a little bit more about my podcast production studio and content creation consultancy on my website. And if you want to find out how I do what I do, if you need any help, please get in touch. Drop me a line and let me know. 
If you simply want to support the show, please follow us and you can take a second to leave us a rating on Apple. It does help more people find the show, of course, and it does mean a lot to me. Join me next time for more narrative journeys of creators abroad.